Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, at Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? Are you any better than the 15 seconds since we last spoke? You got your... I'm, I'm still, still all good, as is Finley. Good, you got your electricity back? Yes, yes, otherwise we wouldn't be talking to each other. Oh, well, fair point, Kieran, yeah, that's how, that's how non... Really? Why? Do you need electricity for the? I oh, don't mind. Um, it's it's um, it's one of our special interview pods. This one, Kieran, and it's an interview I've really enjoyed doing. It's with Maxim Krivunec, who's president of the Latvian FA and also runs the Latvian Premier League, the First Liga. Um, very enthusiastic, very interesting man, with a lot of insight into the economics of running football in one of Europe's smaller countries. Maxim, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we start to talk a little bit about football in, in Latvia and in Europe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be head of the FA in your country? Thank you very much for having me, Kevin and uh, Kieran. So, with pleasure, my name is Maxim Skrivunets. I'm the president of Latvian Football Virsliga, which is the top-tier competition in Latvia. Um, well, I'm 34 and I have a financial background. I uh, hold an executive MBA uh, education from the Stockholm School of Economics. Uh, my football history started in 2010, uh, when I created, established an amateur team, which was quite uh, very successful, let's, let's say. And uh, it allowed me to become an executive chairman in 2015, uh, already in the professional team, which at that time was in the second division. So in three years, we made the two UEFA Europe League qualification stages. And uh, in 2015, 18, I was elected by all clubs of Virsliga to become the president of the league. Wow. Yeah. And, in, sorry, and, just to finish, and just to finish, 2022, I became the board member of the European Leagues, which is the association of the leagues inside UEFA territory uh, that uh, represent 40 leagues right now from the 34 countries. And as well, uh, that year, I became the representative of UEFA Professional Football Strategic Council. Okay, so you have a decided amount of influence within European football. The, the the European League that you talk about, the 40 clubs, that got a lot of publicity here. Um, and Steve Parrish, the chairman of Crystal Palace, my club, spoke, I think, at the inaugural meeting. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about? So uh, the project of European uh, Union of European Clubs came out actually from the European Leagues project, which was called at that time and still exists, Club Advisory Platform. That was um, a meeting with all clubs from coming from all European leagues. And it was firstly organized in 2019 in Madrid. And the, the idea actually came out of the La Liga, La Liga's president, Javier Tebas, when um, there were a lot of discussions about the new competition format uh, in UEFA. 
So, and you, you might remember that at that time there was a se- let's say closed or semi-closed uh, competition idea within the UEFA and within the mm-hmm. ECA. So, which uh, of course um, was uh, was contradicting to the ideas of the European League. So we we organized this meeting together with 300 plus clubs coming to Madrid and discussed. Uh, different topics on the format, on the calendar, and distribution, and so on. So at that time, it stopped mm, this project, and uh, UEFA, together with ECA, proposed another uh, competition format uh, later, let's stage. But at that time, there are, there were several representatives of the clubs that had this idea to create uh, an, another union, another association of European clubs that could represent small and medium clubs. Mm. Because if you know that there is a European club association that represents, let's say, elite football clubs around Europe with a very complex governance structure, and um, actually small and medium clubs don't have uh, uh, direct representation there. So this idea came out of this club advisory platform. And now... uh, this year, in April 2023, in Brussels, there was a launch event for the new association of clubs, where some 40 clubs came to this meeting. And uh, as you mentioned, Steve Parrish from Crystal Palace was there. There was uh, other uh, Premier League clubs. There were clubs from La Liga, from Serie A, from Bundesliga, and uh, clubs all over the uh, all over the Europe. The idea of this association is rather simple to represent the small and medium clubs, to have a counterbalance probably with the uh, ECA, and uh, of course to be uh, an active part of of uh, discussions at the table. And what's UEFA's response been to this new body? I would say today the only organization, club organization that is recognized by UEFA is ECA. Right. And actually, if you see the objectives of in the statutes of the ECA, their objective is to be the only club association recognized by the UEFA. But uh, as I know, they had a meeting. Uh, Alexander Seferin had a meeting with the uh, Union of European Clubs representatives, and they discussed uh, these ideas. I don't know the outcome of this meeting, unfortunately, uh, but uh, it's it's a good sign that the president of UEFA uh, had already a meeting with uh, with this union. That already I know that they are progressing really fast, and they have already a lot of members inside uh, this union. And I, coming from a small league, from a small country, I promote my clubs as well to join this association. Uh, and I know that are already 80% of our clubs already there and they want to be heard and uh, to part- actively participate in this uh, new association. So I think it's uh, it's a very important process that is happening right now in European football. The outcome is still difficult to predict because, as I told you previously, UEFA recognize only one association currently. But uh, I think it's, ve- it's very, very important to have a different different structures, different stakeholders. And what is important, a union of European clubs has a, uh, a structure where one club has one vote. So all clubs are similar and they can vote and they can uh, decide on any topic they, they, they think is important for them. We'll talk a little bit more about broader European football later, Maxim, but I'd like to talk to you about your country. And, and before I continue, I need to declare a soft spot here for Latvian football, because I I was in Liechtenstein for a, a number of different circumstances conspired to take me to Liechtenstein in 1994 to see Liechtenstein play Latvia in a Euro qualifying game. 
and it, it wasn't that long after your independence. I, I have never seen a national anthem more passionately and proudly sung than it was by the Latvian players and supporters that day. So I've kept an eye on Latvian football ever since. It was a remarkable experience. And, and clearly the national team is very, very important to a country of your size, isn't it? Yes, thank you very much. And, uh, it's a big proud. Uh, our also national team is the only team uh, or the only country from Baltic states to yeah. be ever played in the Euros in the final yeah. stage in 2004 in Portugal. And at that time, as you remember, there were only 16 teams participating. So yeah. it was an incredible success for the national team. And we were all uh, very proud of it. And uh, I think this was the like, top uh, culmination of our, of our football development. Unfortunately, the next following 10 years were not so successful, and uh, but the league itself and the football is still developing, and I think we are on the right uh, uh, path right now with the football, with the strategy implemented inside the league, inside the federation. But uh, yes, we actually, we are a small league. Uh, we are 10, 10 teams participating in Virsliga, but uh, we are we have our own strategy. By the way, we are the youngest league in Europe in the oh. territory with an average age of 22.7, which is, uh, I think, is outstanding. We, we have the youngest team to play in the top divisions in the world. This is wow. FK Meta with an average age of 20, which is an amazing. Uh, and uh, actually, we, we are quite competitive competition. We have uh, six champions in the last 10 years. Mm. And we went actually from the worst competitive balance to one of the best because... Um, maybe you know this uh, this team Scontoriga, which was super famous uh, in the '90s, and they still hold the record of the consecutive titles in UEFA territory. Fourteen yeah. titles in a row. Only Redims from Gibraltar and Skonto from Riga hold this. Let's say not the best uh, title uh, or a record, but still. Now, Bayern Munich probably is one of the closest uh, to to have the same record or even to improve it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so now we are quite competitive. We we are young league. We have our strategies to acquire and to bring international young talents and local talents on the European football stage uh, to get the working permit for the international guys coming to Latvia to have the first taste of European football and then to proceed to the bigger competitions. Because let's see, we are the platform for the first, maybe one, two steps for the professional football players. And then we want them to go to the bigger competitions and compete uh, on a different stage. You're, Maxim, can I say you are a joy to interview because you keep answering questions that I was going to ask you before I actually asked them. As I was going to say, uh, sadly, Skonteriga, probably the only Latvian team that a lot of us will know about, and they don't actually exist anymore. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened to them and also how football is organised outside the top? Like, I presume the first league is all professional. And, and how is it funded? So let's start with Skonto. Skonto was uh, one of the first teams uh, to be ever created in a competition that started in 1991 after getting the independence. So this team was uh, actually managed by the FA president at that time. So they had, uh, I guess, the biggest resources because it was uh, funded by the equity of the owner, uh, which was at that time really a uh, wealthy guy. Yeah. And uh, so they had the biggest resources, they had uh, the biggest uh, contracts with the players, they could attract uh, 
all the players around the country. Uh, and actually, they had a very good academy system. So if you see the success in 2004 for the national team, you might see like there is 90% of the squad is actually Skonto Riga. Yeah. With the same coach, with the same coaching staff and the players. So it was one of the reasons or the uh, advantages of that team because they, they knew each other. So they played for a quite a long time. And then there were multiple transfers to, to Premier League. To, so there was a transfer. Uh, Igor Stepanov went to Arsenal. Iman uh, Bladeless went to, I guess at that time, I don't remember who's it. I know Marian Pachers went to Southampton. So you saw like a couple of Latvian guys playing in the Premier League and uh, in, in Championship at that time. So it was funded by the the, the owner. Uh, when the owner had uh, started having uh, problems uh, in his primary business, of course, it influenced the club. So and how it's usually happened, the club suffered and the due to financial pro- problems, it disappeared. He was declined in decline for uh, let's say six to ten years, and eventually in 2015, uh, Skonto couldn't get a license from a football federation to continue the competition in Virsliga, and uh, it's actually disappeared right now. Right, has there been a replacement team in Liga, um, Riga then, presumably? Yes, and the team that I was managing at that oh, time. Right. Oh, brilliant! Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, that was happened. That we were playing in the second division. We just acquired the team uh, in the second division, and we offered we were offered by the uh, football federation to come to Virsliga, which we didn't want at that time because we wanted to play in the second division. We want to make all the possible mistakes that we could do, and then uh, to come to Virsliga because it was very risky to come to Virsliga in the first year without any experience in managing professional team for me and my my team, and then to relegate at the first year and then to start from the beginning in the second division. So, uh, But we, we took this challenge. We stayed in Virsliga in the first year. And then, uh, as I told you previously, we made it to the European League qualifications in, uh, in yeah. three years. So it was a quite remarkable. But the structure, if we speak about the structure of, of Latvian uh, football pyramid, we have Virsliga with 10 teams, absolutely professional teams, with an average budget of around 3 million. Uh, FC, FC Riga is the richest club uh, with a budget of 15 million, which is uh, outstanding. I would say yeah. it's, it's not normal. But uh, on average, we have the budgets of five, four, three million, and some teams lower than one million that are, they, are, they aim to produce talents. They are, yeah. they are funded by the academy. They are funded by the uh, transfers, uh, sale. And uh, these are quite successful teams because they are small teams, but they play in Virsliga already for 10, 15 years, which shows that their system or their strategy also is quite good for, for these kind of uh, competitions. And then the second division is actually uh, semi-professional, I would say. There are teams that are not professional, that don't have 100% players on the professional contract, uh, but the majority of the teams are still professional. So there are 14 teams in the second division, and third and fourth divisions are, uh, let's say, Amateur. Yeah. And presumably you have a, a TV broadcasting deal. How much is that worth to the league? The league is financed uh, from several uh, sources. Uh, we don't have a domestic TV deal. Oh, you actually, don't. yeah, the, the, the competition is rather small. There is no interest from the local broadcasters. Uh-huh. Uh, so we pay to the broadcasters to produce all 180 games per season because we play 10 teams, play 36 rounds. 
uh, four times against each other. I would say this is the most boring, but the fairest competition ever <laughs> because you play with each team four times and you are definitely the champion or you're definitely the worst team in the competition. Yeah. Uh, so, but um, we have other financial sources, sponsorship. We, we, we sell fast betting data. Uh, we sell the streaming uh, rights to the betting companies. We uh, we sell also international TV rights, which is uh, interesting because we don't have a domestic deal, but we have an international deal. Uh, but this is thanks to the collective deals inside the European leagues. So we have a collective deals inside the European leagues. We combine from five um, to 10 or in one contract, there is a 20 leagues participating. So we combine our rights and uh, we provide them centrally to the market, which dramatically increase the value of the rights, for example, for us. Right, and are, are people in Latvia also watching the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, etc. on TV? Premier League by far is the number one. Really? Uh, La- Latvian Bundesliga is number five. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, yes. So Premier League, Bundesliga, Champions League, all the UEFA club competitions, let's say, if we take them in one pack, uh, then uh, La Liga and uh, Virsliga. So the local league, this is a problem for us that uh, our local TV broadcasters are not interested in the, in, the, in the local league because they have the same subscribers as they provide the Premier League. Uh-huh. This is the same audience because right. everybody watches the Premier League and they watch the local league. So that's that creates some challenges for us. But uh, this is how this market works. We we try to find uh, different opportunities. We're trying to be creative how we promote the league. We we actually the, the the smallest league to be officially licensed in the football manager in different games. Oh, so wow. because we're super proactive on this topic, we we want to increase interactions. A number of interactions with our, our fans so that's why we implemented score prediction games fantasy league and uh, having four employees in the league we i would say we are doing a very very great job on that just to compliment my team that they are they're doing a great job I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. You mentioned data there, Maxim, and I, I watched an interview with you on YouTube where you talked about the importance of gathering data for analysis. But you also said that you'd met some resistance to that approach. Are you still meeting resistance? You mean resistance from the clubs? Yeah. Well, I think now clubs understand uh, the importance and the value of data that we generate because actually the data is generated during the games, the most important and valuable data. 
teams are organizing these games. So actually, it's their value. But through the commercial agreement inside Virsliga, we agreed that we put this rights centrally because this is how we can maximize the value. If our small clubs will try to uh, gather and to to sell this data separately, it will not create any value for them. So now I think the clubs are 100% supportive on, on what we are doing on the strategy of the league. We are going into the digitalization uh, strategy, which means that we want to to create a digital ecosystem for the Virsliga, where you can enter this system through one registration and you can watch the games on our web or, uh, let's say, in the future OTT platform. You can buy the tickets to go to the games. You can buy merchandise. You can play fantasy, score prediction, whatever, and everything you can do in one ecosystem, which creates value for a, such a small league because then we have enough data then we have enough information about the fans to produce qualitative campaigns for them and to attract sponsors. So we need to be a very, very proactive uh, in, in how we communicate with our fans to, to drive value for the sponsors because the sponsorship market is very small. Mm. Are, are you able to raise enough money to fund properly grassroots football, women's football, all the other areas of football that you would like to encourage as well? No, currently no, because um, the the budget of Virsliga today is around 0.6 million, so 600,000. Wow. So wow. you can imagine this is not enough. So we and, and we are paying to the broadcaster. So half of this money goes to produce the games, which afterwards we sell for the streaming services for and we use it for, for our web page and uh, the broadcaster. Uh, I think that these topics today women football and youth is uh, primary is football federation goal to develop this we yeah. see a great potential there especially youth uh, that we are it goes in line with our strategy of producing uh, good players that can compete on a high level because currently we are number 35 in uefa country rankings so we are quite low, but we still uh, we see our players by going to the Polish extra class or Belgium or any other, let's say, medium competition. They are very competitive. So we need to follow that uh, that path. And F football federation plays an important role in that, mm. especially because the football federation is uh, distributing UEFA solidarity money, yeah. which uh, which could be spent only on youth programs. So the, here we're working in uh, together with Football Federation to develop the right system for the solidarity distribution because multiple uh, many countries using a simple uh, strategy they just divided in equal shares all the solidarity money coming from UEFA to their top division clubs uh, and we uh, have a different system. Yeah, uh, Maxim, there, there was um, a Baltic league I think for about four seasons, two thousand and seven to two thousand. 11, why, why did that end and is there any chance of it being revived? Oh, this is a topic that uh, hurts me much because uh, this is a great idea of creating a bigger competition with a bigger market in the Baltic states with a 6 million people market, which is quite similar to Denmark. And you, you can imagine, so Denmark has a, a 50 million uh, domestic TV deal with the 6 million people. Of course, different uh, standards of living, different uh, uh, cultural aspects and infrastructure and so on. But uh, we could use at least, if we would use at least 10% of this uh, potential, commercial potential would be on completely different uh, level. So in 2007, there was a, uh, the Baltic League was created, but it was created uh, as a simultaneous league. It was not like a, a uh. Baltic League. It happened in parallel with the national competitions without any incentive. 
without uh, any position in UCC, uh, in any fi- uh, financial, let's say, incentives. So the teams were playing with the reserve teams in this competition. Uh, and more o- moreover, some teams uh, had a integrity problem problems. So there was a match fixing uh, registered in this tournament. So it collapsed really fast. Uh, and as I say that this is a brilliant idea that I'm promoting currently and... Uh, I spoke several times with uh, with a company, Hypercube from the Netherlands, that uh, re-established and developed a new competition format for UEFA, for the Champions League and for the all UEFA tournaments. They see a great potential in this cross-border competitions. Uh, but of course, there is a lot of skepticism uh, inside three federations because they remember that story from 2007-2010. But do you think financially eventually it's the only way forward really if you want to compete at the highest level for the national team as well definitely so uh, there is inherited disadvantage in smaller competitions we, we will never compete with uh, even with the extra class uh, where there is a uh, uh, 40 million people uh, population and we are 1.8 we have very small market if mm. we want to grow and we, if we want to compete and enter at least top 30 leagues in UEFA rankings, we need to increase the market. We need to increase the, we need to produce new rivalries on national level when, for example, our top teams like uh, FC Riga or RFS uh, playing against Flora from Tallinn or from, uh, for, against Jalgiris from Vilnius. This is a big teams for, for the region. And uh, we need to grow the market. We need to, uh, produce a common product we need to put uh, all these games and this is around uh, actually it will happen around 550 games together we need to produce on one platform with one quality standard and we need to centrally uh, give it to the market this is the only way how we can uh, have a local tv deal or let's say put it uh, behind the paywall in in our platform and to get uh, funds for the league development and for the club development in terms of the national team, Maxim, it's quite clear that the bigger countries in Europe see the Nations League as a nuisance. What's your perspective on it? Well, I think this is um, this is a very good competition format for smaller uh, smaller leagues. But of course, it produces also high-level games uh, for the teams playing in A group. So there is no friendlies that sometimes were absolutely uh, irrelevant and no interest from the fans or from the TV broadcast sound, there is additional funds generated by UEFA that they can distribute to the uh, to the smaller uh, nations. And for example, in terms of Latvia, we sell all the TV rights for the national team centrally within the UEFA. It gives us around two million per year for the federation, which would be very difficult to sell if we play friendly games or yeah. commercialize in any other way. So it produces a great value for the smaller federations. And I guess for the fans, it's also interesting to see uh, competitive games. Of course, everybody dreams to, to play not in the C or D group, but to promote to, to, to higher leagues because uh, we played the last uh, Nations League against uh, yes, Moldova, Andorra. Uh, I forgot the fourth team. So these games, of course don't have a big interest from the fans. But still, they're competitive. They are good for the players' development. Mm. And uh, we see that uh, this year, we start, uh, the next year, actually, we will start in the next group. We promote it. And it was a very good success for the national team. Maxim, it's been really interesting talking to you. I want to end with um, 
a big question, two big questions, in fact, and I think I know the answer to the first one. Is the money in European football shared fairly? And if not, how would you go about changing the way money is distributed by UEFA to countries like Latvia? Well, in every, let's say, big question, there are different perspectives yeah. and different opinions, and there is uh, multiple stakeholders that you you can ask, and there will be different answers. Uh, for my, uh, as for me, representing league, representing one hundred percent of my clubs, 10, 10 clubs, uh, I believe that the system uh, that we have today is not still uh, a proper system that promotes the objectives of UEFA. Because if we see the statutes of UEFA, there's clearly a statement that uh, uh, sporting merit should prevail over the commercial interest. There should be a part of solidarity. There should be uh, football development in every corner uh, in UEFA territory. So if we say objectives and we compare to the distribution system that we have, for example, in UEFA club competitions, uh, I believe that it's not fair. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, at least it's not. it doesn't meet... Uh, the the objective stated in the statutes. So if we say like uh, if uh, UCC generates 3.5 billion, which the biggest part of this revenues are coming, of course, from the Champions League, and we divide 2 billion to 32 clubs playing in Champions League, and then we say we distribute 140 million in solidarity to 650 clubs. Yeah, yeah. I think... It's incomparable. We, we, the gap between these clubs, between these competitions will increase. And as I said previously, big competitions, they, uh, they have already inherited advantage over smaller leagues, over smaller competitions. And I even not saying uh, about Latvia, because we will never play in Champions League. Probably we will, in the next 10 years, we will not play in Europe League. Our competition is uh, European uh, Europe Conference League, which is yeah. a nice, nice uh, competition. And we actually experienced uh, uh, European football last year when our team, RFS, played in the group stages, bringing here Fiorentina, Basak Shakir, Hearts, uh, three times sold out stadiums, nice atmosphere. So these kind of competitions are very important uh, and for the clubs and for the fans. But uh, I think the governance is one of the problems that um, we have in European football because... Uh, there is a big influence of the elite clubs on UEFA. And I believe that uh, creating a joint venture uh, between UEFA and the ECA is the first step to lose the control over the business side uh, of what UEFA is doing. So, and um, I think that UEFA is, uh, is it's actually an association of federations. It should benefit the federations and the federation acknowledges and recognizes the leagues, domestic leagues. So leagues and federations should play a major role in, in, in every process that is inside the UEFA, whether it's discussion, whether it's decision-making or anything else. But we see today that even if we, to, uh, if we take uh, committees inside UEFA and, uh, and bodies that are regulating and that producing proposals for the EXCO to vote, you see that all the committees they are uh, they are uh, they they are full with representatives from football federation except one club competitions committee where out of twenty representatives sixteen are coming from European club association and this is the most by far important uh, committee where everything distribution system access list calendar everything is is produced inside this uh, committee. 
And I wonder whether why in all other committees there is no clubs except only probably women competition where there are two representatives, as I remember. Mm. So the governance uh, is is important in these questions. And of course, the big teams will always say that we generate this value. I would say yes, but uh, the ecosystem doesn't work like like in, in American sports uh, in Europe. These clubs are part of this ecosystem. So we need to find the balance. And that's why I'm saying that if we have another association of the clubs that can produce this balance to be heard at the table where these discussions happen. It's, it's very important. One final question, Maxim. There are many people, uh, our very own Kieran Maguire included, who say that the idea of a European Super League inevitably will happen, that the, the bigger clubs, the Madrids uh, and Milans of this world, want a Super League. So eventually it will come along. But there is also an argument from some people that that actually might benefit the rest of Europe. If you, the the money that's left might then be shared more fairly amongst the smaller clubs and nations. Do you agree with that? I agree. Um, I like uh, the saying. I, I I think that Javier Tebas once said that that Super League is not the project; is the way of thinking. Right. So the Super League will happen any time. Like uh, it might be in five, ten years, twenty. It will happen, yeah, because this is the way of clubs are thinking. And for example, if I would be a, a general manager of the big team, I would probably think in that way because football club is not normal, but still business. Yeah. And they think about the maximizing profits and wins. And that's what they do. That's why there is institution of leagues and federations that need to control and to balance it. So whether we will able to, to change the governance and to redistribute wealth more equally, and actually, to, to keep competitive balance, you have only three instruments. You have a competition format, you have regulations, and you have wealth redistribution. And the good mix of these things will produce a value for the European football. I don't know whether there will be uh, anything left on the table because the broadcasters uh, will decide how much money will go to the Super League and how much money will be left for for UEFA and other competitions, let's say, if it will happen outside UEFA, right? Uh, but we will do everything not not to to do not to happen for Super League uh, inside the European leagues, inside our leagues, inside the federations, because we we believe that it will damage the the, the ecosystem that we're having right now, and it works well. It works well. Of course, there are some things that we need to fix, but uh, we see that uh, new financial sustainability regulations, and now there are discussions about the hard cap. The UEFA is trying uh, to fix the system, to improve it, not, not to fix, but probably in, improve it, because financial fair play also played a very good role, to my mind, and the decreasing the losses that clubs had. Let's say in 2009, there was 1.6 billion losses for the clubs. In 2019, it was around 125-something. So it works, and it, it, if it, it evolves and we need to continue that way. But there is a big jeopardy, right? That the Super League will happen and then broadcasters will decide where to put their money. What are your views on the salary cap, Maxim? I believe that this is a necessity if we want to, to let's say, to have a better competitive balance. Because we see that even with a 70% cap, a soft cap, right, uh, payroll to revenues that will be implemented in three years in UEFA club competitions, we see that English clubs will have an enormous advantage even with these regulations. So if we want to have 
the stories like in 2004, like when Porto is winning a Champions League and everybody says that it was uh, amazing like for these uh, out of top five leagues for a club to win it. If we want to see these stories, then of course we need to do something because the gap is increasing and only something fixing at one level could, could probably fix that because then all these big clubs, they can invest in infrastructure, they can invest in the youth, in women football. There are multiple, multiple opportunities where they can spend money. But of course, FIFPRO, ECA clubs and uh, some, uh, some regulations in the European uh, labor law, of course, uh, create challenges for this project. Maxim, it's been really interesting to talk to you. Thank you very much. Hopefully we can talk to you again in the future and about the progress of the Union of European Leagues, which seems to me a very important thing to happen. Um, Let's meet again this time next year to talk about all the initiatives you've been putting in place. As you say, you've got a very proactive approach and we'd love to learn how that's getting on. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been a genuine pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Kevin. Kieran, I found that fascinating. There's a couple of things I'd like to pick up with you. The notion especially, I was really taken back by the idea that they pay the broadcaster, essentially, rather than the other way around. They actually pay Latvian TV to, to broadcast the games. Yeah, that 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 was incredible. Um, but then, when you think about it, you know, there are costs of of setting up cameras and so on. And if the expected viewing figures by the broadcasters means that the domestic league isn't going to be viable from from the from the broadcast company perspective, uh, to to have that confidence that we can still make money by by streaming by by exporting the matches instead, which again is is fascinating. Can you imagine? What it would be like in this country if we had no match of the day, we yeah. had no sky, yeah. uh, and yet we'd have people phoning us up from Latvia or from Trinidad or from the US, wherever it's going to be. Say, hey, I've just seen your side on the television. We go, uh, yeah, I think I think it'd be a bit of gnashing, mm. a bit of gnashing taking place. Um, but uh, he he certainly wants to expand the interest in the game, and uh, it's uh, it, it's a way forward. So I, I believe ice hockey is the the most popular sport yeah. in in Latvia. So you're competing with other sports, which is which is something again which we're not familiar with because football is so dominant in this country. Yeah, yeah. But different cultures of, of different uh, of different histories when it comes to sport. Also, very interesting. I found Kieran when uh, he got quite passionate about the unfair distribution of finances within European football. But basically he said it's the broadcasters essentially who decide which clubs and which country gets the most money, which I thought was an interesting take. Yeah, I think the broadcaster the broadcasters know what sells. And um, that's why we've seen some of the changes in the formats of, of competitions. Um, and yeah, broadcasters want eyeballs. The eyeballs follow the big clubs, so therefore the broadcasters want the big clubs, um, and they want to protect that interest because you know we are now in the the non football season, although the, the football finance season sadly appears to, to last for twelve months. <laughs> um, but uh, in in terms of that, you know what 
what fuels interest in football over the course of the summer. It's big clubs with big signings and big gossip. And uh, you know, in, in order to have the big signings, you you have to have a a a distribution vehicle which which benefits those larger clubs. And and the and to be fair, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, to, you know, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. These clubs deliver interest in the sports globally. Um, unlike uh you know with due respect to our clubs you know, we don't you know, we mm. we are a we are a, a national club a domestic club and and that doesn't mean that our our fan base or our enthusiasm is any less or more but it's it is different in terms of the global vehicles and also Kim, there's two more things something that came up in our post interview discussion we'd we'd stopped recording but we were chatting um maxim very kindly invited us uh, to riga um, which I'm sure we can help even more with their colloquial English. Um, but he was talking about a number of ways in which they raise money, including uh, tax on foreign players, but all the money they do raise in these extra revenue streams is split equally between the clubs in the Latvian Premier League, which is laudable, isn't it? It, it is, and that's also a, a major contributory factor as to why there are so many different winners mm. of the National League. Yeah. Because if you start, and this is where if we take a look at the the, 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 the so-called big six, and I appreciate Newcastle are trying to break into that gang. Um, if you start with a 250 to 300 million pound advantage, over other clubs in the division, and, and that's that is the sort of the normal difference. Um, then you are going to get a rinse and repeat cycle of of the same clubs in the same positions as far as the the Premier League is concerned. Um, and uh, and Maxim's approach uh, means that you've got jeopardy, you've got competitive balance, and and you've got excitement on the back of that, and that helps to grow the game. And finally, Kieran, I was very interested to hear Maxim say that. He thought financial fair play had levelled the playing field a little bit and he was all in favour of it and the fact that he was very much in favour of a salary cap as well. Yes. If uh, financial fair play is an inelegant solution to one of the issues within football um, and people moan about it, but without it, we would have the likes of Saudi Arabia PIF come in and they could buy... The, the 10 or sorry, the 11 best players in the world and stick them in a team in Newcastle shirts and they'd win everything. So um, having an element of checks and balances is is useful. In terms of the salary cap, um, I'm, I'm always intrigued about salary caps because um, if, you, if you create any artificial constraints in a market, uh, it depends where the cap is, is positioned. If it's too high, then then it doesn't impact upon the clubs. If it if it's too low, you 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 run the risk of uh, of, of losing the talent uh, elsewhere. And, and we've seen this uh, in rugby union, for example, where uh, players started to go to play in France um, when when the uh, when the rugby union here had a salary cap, um, and it was only because those players were subsequently effectively banned from playing for England um, that they started to return. So it, it's. Salary, salary craps are interesting from an from an econ, from an economist's perspective. Yeah, I, I have another solution to the the potential problem of Saudi Arabia buying the eleven best players in the world. I think you should allow Saudi Arabia to buy an English team and buy the eleven best players in the world, but Steve Bruce has to be manager. 
that that would level that playing field quite considerably wouldn't it thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our patreon page if you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod that'd be very kind thank you and you can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football don't forget we have a questions pod each week as well on monday and if you want to email us a question it's questions at price of football.com bye everybody bye the price of football I'm for the